Oh, look, Stinger, so good to see your face, mate. I have actually seen your face more than I've seen any of the other past players and the guys I used to play with because I've been working in Brighton and I see you out walking all the time and you're still looking as fit as you ever were, mate. Well, I've seen you more than when you lived here, actually, right? <laughs> yes. That's that. Well, that's a, that's a lie. I hung around you like a bad smell. It was, oh. we, lived with, we lived with Paul Hopgood. We didn't see him. He was always hidden away in his room, wasn't he? I'm not sure what Hoppy was doing. We don't know. I don't think I don't think we want to know what Paul Hopkins was doing in his room. Singer, mate, we're excited to be Melbourne supporters at the moment. Let's get this over and done with first. The players um obviously going to take the field soon. Uh you'll be uh tuning in, obviously, sitting down to watch the boys go about it. How's this year been for you watching from afar? Uh I've, lo- I've watched a lot more footy than what I normally have in the last two years. I was off it for a little while. I've grown to love Melbourne Footy Club and footy again. So you go through patches where oh, I don't know whether it's your own personal experiences or whether you're just not interested for a while, but mm. I was a pessimist and now I'm an optimist. So optimistic about their future. So it's great. Yeah. I, I love it. And the way they're playing and maybe everything's just gelled at once with development and age. That's um, just, I suppose, professional sport. All ages contribute to success and now we're gelling well. 100%, mate. And you uh, you must look at some players, I reckon, and, and, and sort of, I mean, obviously you were a wingman. Um, who do you look at the moment and go, yeah, I can sort of see a bit of me in that? Um, who do you like watching play at the moment for Melbourne Football Club? Um, <laughs> good question. Good question without notice. <laughs> um, well, I actually like... Um, I love the way Lever reads the play, but that's an easy one. So mm. uh, people who can play in and out, uh, whether it's a midfield position or half back, half forward. So got a bit of a soft spot. I think we should have been uh, probably got little number 15 in the All-Australian squad or team as a wingman. I know it's been debated. Yeah. Of the old uh, opinion a- that you get picked in your positions. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, a wingman maybe in my day – we were just starting to learn to become midfielders, but we play predominantly on a wing. So mm. Mm. not having to get midfield numbers like 30 and 35, a good 15 or good 20 on a wing and kick one or two is probably get you, it should get you for consistency in the All-Australian team. 100%. Ed Langdon, I, I, I've watched him play this year and I've seen similarities, not 100% because there's no one carbon copy. You were, you were a very intense player. You went hard at it. Uh, you know, you would go where a lot of people feared to go. Ed Langdon is a, is a fearless runner, he keeps going. And I just see similarities in the way he reads the play out in the wing and uses the space well. Do you sort of see that? Yeah, a little bit. It's a hard position because you seem to get caught. If you've got a small ground, you watch the ball go over all, all day, you've got to get mm. in the right position. And yet if you're on playing at the G, you've got a bit of space. So it's a fine line. I'd hate to see the success rate at the end of a GPS, whether you get the possession or you don't. Yeah. Yeah. So well, the amount of gut running for a wingman probably relative to reward is probably a little bit less, but it's a fine line whether you're dropping the hole at the right time or you counterattack at the right time. So mm. I found it really hard as a junior. I hated playing on the wing because mm. I was, I'm a person that goes for the ball and I played on Matera and main wearing in my time where two different complete players, but, they taught me a lesson that you can't always go in and get the ball. So mm. Mainwaring was a great outside player and yet he was tough, 
but he knew when to run off. And Matera was just fast and electric. So two different types. That's really interesting. And I love hearing that. I remember being out at Waverley one day for a training session. And I think you might've been injured at the time, which was a pretty regular occurrence <laughs> towards the end. And- yeah, it's probably uh, 60, 40% yeah. is that right? Easily. And let's talk about that in a minute. But but uh, I, I remember you uh, teaching me about understanding the space and and its starting positions and moving into that. I mean, football was a little bit more positional back then. Now it's different. It seems to be this moving mass. But one thing that I think stayed pretty consistent is wingers are holding their wings and holding their space and sort of yeah floating down into defence. But being that exit, so Lever and May are marking the ball so well at the moment, and they're looking up and they're seeing a really balanced winger, but maybe a Brayshaw and an Ed Langdon. Understanding space and when to run into it's a big part of football, isn't it? Yeah, and I've got a bit of a theory on this. How people go on about courageous players. Courageous players are courageous, but sometimes stupid. Mm. which, and there's a lot of them out there. And a lot of people go, oh, geez, he's always courageous. But my twist twist on it is that he actually hasn't read the play that well, so he's out of position and he's got to do that. Yeah, right. Interesting. So they're not always like Lever is a great reader and he's already there. But people who have got to run back at the flight sometimes are being caught Mm. out, so they've got to do that. So they're caught out of position. And yet they're tainted as being courageous. So I get it. But also there can be a stupidity factor in that as well. And I think mm. Neil Danaher went, told us one day that if we've got a midfielder coming back with a fly to the ball trying to take a mark and you're playing centre forward and then your centre back gets in front of you, tug the jumper and let us have one extra player rather than back in those days, it was pretty brutal. He would have got knocked out. Mm. So tug the jumper and stop him from knocking out our player because we're one down. And it sounds mm. a little bit... Uh, call it a a little bit not in the rules of the game because we're all taught to be courageous and and run back at the flight of the ball. But at some stage, you're going to – if that was a grand final and you lose one or two players early on because of stupidity, Mm. one of your players not playing in the position and he needs to actually give away a free kick, he should. Yeah. Sounds stupid, but it's another twist on it. No, it's another twist, and I like that because you've always been that kind of guy. And I lived with you early days and it was – probably something that I really needed because I wasn't I mean I wasn't up to scratch when it came to AFL football and the in your face um having a hard look in the mirror uh style because I was never really taught that but you were instrumental in teaching me that but you you taught everybody that and you were always like that yourself if something's going to happen and this is the Ron Barassi school as well if it is to be it is up to me uh, at the end of the day you've got to look in the mirror and everything that happens is because of you it starts with you and it ends with you. And if you can accept that, then you can move forward and, and better yourself. That was instrumental for me. Um, who taught you that? Is that something natural that came to you? Well, I went, th- I went through a few coaches. I started with Alan Jarrett in the under-19s and then I went to John Northey, uh, then I had Neil Baum, Hutchie for a little bit of a spell there, and then it went into Neil Danaher. And then I had Rodney Ede at Sydney. Mm. So there's a number of people from an old school perspective and work ethic but I suppose it comes back to your family um, inherited behaviours mum and dad work ethic mum said if your footy's not going to work out make sure you've got a trade or some type of uh, employment to fall back on and I suppose I always spoke to myself about every week of each game that I'm not guaranteed a game I'm not guaranteed a game so I Mm. reiterated that and I suppose every time you went out on the track that you worked hard Mm. and unfortunately I was injured for a lot of that but I would have worked 
four times as hard off the field. So mm. I was able to go and play a running game but not do any running pre-season. Mm. So that's an oxymoron in itself. Everyone would say you'd have to be a runner to and be able to run, but because of injury, I couldn't. Yeah. Uh, and I want to get to that in a minute, but let's go even a bit further back and start from the beginning with you. You get drafted, as I said, in 89 uh, before you jumped on. Uh, sorry, you played your first game against Fitzroy in 89. You came to the club in 87 from Shepparton, yep. uh, made the trip down the highway. Uh, what was the club like in 87? And then you start to find some success as the years sort of progress. The club starts to get better. You get to a night final, win that, and then some uh, grand finals and, and final success. Yeah, it was very much the John and all the era. It was us against them. We were always painted as the underdog. Ne- never were going to win one. And then we ended up getting in the grand final. Mm. So it was us against them. I started in the under-19s where I didn't know anything about footy. I remember my first training session came from Shepparton and we had to run the lake at Albert Park. And we'd had McDonald's before it. You know, <laughs> we'd just driven down from Shepparton and we hadn't had lunch and we had McDonald's. The next minute we're running in 35 degree heat around mm. Albert Park Lake. Mm. <laughs> but I think, again, looking back on the previous question is, that I went to Melbourne High in 88 and I lived out at Mount Waverley. So I would get the tram home at night to Flinders Street and then get a train out to the house I was boarding at, at Mount Waverley, and then run home with two, a school bag, a footy bag and an umbrella and probably get home at 10.30. Mm. The Roward family who Mike and Nance looked after me they're all in bed and Kath, the daughter, and here I am putting the food in the microwave and did it all again and all again. So the work ethic mm. to come through that period and the John Norley era of, you know, we worked really, really hard and we got flogged on the track. Um, probably not relevant anymore, but that's probably where it all came from. Yeah. I, mean, I, can re- uh, I can relate because it was still semi-unprofessional when I got drafted in uh, 97. I come... Now, the injury, mate, we talked about that a little bit, uh, your hip and your hamstring. Um, that was another unfortunate situation. You might have had hamstring issues anyway, but the scar tissue that accumulated from a, a, a bit of a tragic, not a tragic thing, but just a, one of those unfortunate occurrences where you fell yeah, through a plate. Right? This is probably a good forum to clarify all this shit. So mm. people think I just did heaps of hamstrings. Mm. So... I found out my first ever senior pre-season, I had Perthes, which is a flat hip cut, so deformity. Mm-hmm. So had numerous, not back-back pain, but numerous buddy pain sort of all the time. So referrals from probably having one hip shorter than the other. Yep. And then I'd been okay playing senior footy. I played every game, 24 games in 1990. And then unfortunately I had a freak accident where I fell through a glass window. So... Mm-hmm. I severed the nerve in my right hand, which Graham Southwick ended up saving, and then I sliced my right thigh. But everyone thinks it's because I fell through the glass that I probably actually had all these injuries. I think a laceration and then sew it up, it was fine. I didn't mm-hmm. tear a hammy and then have the corrugated hamstrings. But I had a lot of issues on that side, and I think that hip is also a little bit shallow. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't sit in properly. So I had all this lateral buddy pain. So that's how it all happened. I yep. got stress fractures in my back, which probably came from an uneven pelvis and then had operations probably for the sake of it, which is unfortunate, but it was all trying to get me right to play footy. It wasn't yeah. 
any anything untoward, you look back on it and go, wish I didn't have them, but that's the way it happened. And I only basically tore three hamstrings in about 13 years. So mm. I had a couple of minute ones and then I actually did tear the right one off, which is had an avulsion, which is tear a bit of bone off and then a full rupture, mm. which is sounds all major, but really I was okay. Yeah. Considering I couldn't run, I, I think I did a pretty good job. You did an amazing job. And that's the thing what I mean by when I said the phantom, you were uh, one of those people when you crossed the white line, it was all or nothing. Like it was 110% full steam ahead into packs, all that sort of stuff. And that's what made you a great player. And everybody loved that about you. And then unfortunately, these injuries don't allow you to necessarily perform like that and hold you back a little bit. I know where that feels because we've all had those injuries as well. So I suppose everybody loves Stephen Tingay. A lot of the girls especially love the uh, the blonde hair. I get this. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to say it, but that's the feedback I get on my social media when I Posted on Good and Stephen Tingay on the show. They can't wait to see you, mate. Oh, well, it's, it's lovely that all these people have supported me for so many years and still do. People yeah. sometimes on a, or occasionally recognize you in the street. I had a COVID test the other day, and some bloke goes, Are you a cricketer or a footballer? And like, yeah. And all of a sudden, I had a conversation with a Blues supporter who was um, doing the uh, administering the cars and all that sort of stuff. So, security. So it was great. So if you take that side, you've got to actually just receive it. I'm not good at the affirmation things, so now I just receive it and have a good conversation with people. Very lucky that I've been involved in in a club that now I'm a life member. I didn't go and play for Fremantle, which I'm very proud of, and I'm a life member of the footy club. You talk about development and uh, mass. Uh, I want to talk to you about the photo quickly because I have, and I'm allowed to talk about the photo because I was a part of it. And you know what I mean? Uh, one day I have people watching this right now. One day I was I'm living with Stephen Tingo at the time and loving life. It was fantastic. You know, you're in part of my life living with an AFL superstar in a beautiful home in Brighton. And uh, I might've been just resting after a night out. I think it was a Sunday. My, it was a dodgy dodge from the uh, Herald Sun. Yeah. Comes to our house. He wants to get a photo of Stinger for a story they're doing the next day. I toddle off upstairs and lie down on my bed and uh, watching a bit of TV or reading a book. Maybe it was reading a book. Yeah, I would have been reading a book. Uh, I turn to my left and look out and I see Stinger up on the roof because my second story window. There's Stinger with no clothes on doing this pose and I can see everything, like everything, no clothes on. Everybody else was lucky. They had everything else that was just skin. I could see the lot. <laughs> What is going on here? Turns out to be this iconic photo that Dodgy took, mate. How did he get you to do that? Uh, I don't. I don't actually know the questions. What he asked me to get me there to do it, and I just went, "Oh yeah." But I had a spa delivered that was slid through the house, and it was about. Oh, it's probably about 120 centimeters off the ground, and I was able to stand on that and then get on the roof, mm. get up there, and the next minute, I don't know how I ended up nude, but. <laughs> Yeah, I did it. Uh, now it's an iconic photo that's folklore a little bit. And I, I joke around a bit, not about the photo, but if anyone says, what are you doing? I said, I'm on the couch nude or I'm just talking to mates on the phone. I'll go, yeah, I'm in the nude. <laughs> I probably don't even know well, that's the hint I'm giving them. But um, I remember we played Essendon the next day at the G and I just didn't listen to anyone. I had so much tunnel vision going. The other days when... 
if you exploited yourself in the media, you're going to mm. cop it for the you day. You it, yeah. So I just shut down completely until the end of the game. And then David Hassett from the Coterie came up to me and goes, at the end of the game, we'd obviously won. So I was like, oh, God. So if anyone's going to say anything, just have a bit of tongue-in-cheek, have a laugh about it. He goes, whoa, what about that photo? And I go, what? And it was right in the middle of the – it was like the truth, the third page of the truth in the middle of the sports section. So yeah. Yeah. it turned out all right. I don't know what would have happened if we had a lost and all that. I would have copped it for yeah. going oh, nude in the sports section. Mate, I, if if the rest of us had a body like that, we'd be doing the same. I, I was about to say, even though we joke around about it, but you go, okay, I've done the hard work. So yeah. yep. I'm not not share it. deliberately exploiting it, but... Share it with the world. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, uh, yeah. There's a lot of girls of that era and that are watching now that thank you very, very much because they had hours of fun with that one. Let's talk about the hours of fun we're about to have when we watch the Demons uh, in just a little while. Mate, how excited are you? Uh, what are you looking for from the Ds tonight? Uh, it's finals. You've played finals before. What do they have to do? I think just stay settled at the start. You, last night when I watched the game and Port were real quick mm. and Geelong seemed to try and beat it with, almost um, being frantic. I reckon they almost have to go the other way just hold the, hold the footy up for a while. Yeah. Um, if we try and match, as you know, the intensity is finals or maybe the first game of the year is when people are the fittest and healthiest. But finals is probably like that when you've come off a of pre-season. We're coming into finals. We're very healthy. Mm. I just hope we don't fall for too intense and too hard and then when you start talking arousal levels and going over the top, the whole thing goes to shit, so to speak. So I just want to be a bit calm because mm. I think last week's show, they've got the confidence, they've got the ability, they can do it. So now it's up to them. It's, it's amazing. I got a bit emotional last week, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, oh, and I'm glad he. I don't know what's going to happen if they win. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was dancing around the. Uh, a lot of people were doing the same thing, but yeah, it, yeah. you saw the emotion in Petrarca, and it, it is an emotional time for Melbourne supporters at the moment because there's been a long journey to get here. And I'm so pleased to hear that you're involved in it, mate, and loving every minute of it. You are a personal trainer now, uh, post your career, working out of your own house. I know things get put on hold when we go into lockdowns, which is really solid and makes it really hard for you, but. If you ever need the best personal trainer of all time, you just have to look up Stephen Tingay. I'm sure they can grab you on, on Facebook or something like that, mate, because he can transform bodies. Look at what he did to his. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, yeah, I am a personal trainer. It is a little bit hard at the moment. So people with mental health or permits, um, I can train, which is very limited. I've lost 90%, but that's just the way it is. Um, from the safety of it all, I've gone into my garage and we've uh, invested some money. So... That's where it's at. There's not much more you can say about it at the moment, but other than, yeah, try and help people and help them get through. Mm. Stinger, you were instrumental in uh, setting me up for an AFL career, and I really mean that's not a throwaway line just because I got you now. Uh, you, you taught me a lot about uh, what it was like to live in Melbourne firstly, what it was like to be an AFL player and to be a professional person as well, but just to be a good man. I am indebted to you, and thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today. I know all the fans out there have loved every minute of what you've said. Uh, go well, mate, and uh, have a beer tonight and enjoy the days, eh? I'll have one of those. And one of these ones here? Oh, yeah, yeah. Demon Absolutely. Sure. We'll be toasting with a demon brew. Good on you, mate. No worries. See you, pal. See ya.